Welcome, everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by thehockeythinktank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. It is our drum roll. 200th episode and we are bringing on actually our first guest that we had on Brandon Narado, who is now the assistant coach at the university of Michigan. And uh, what a conversation this was. Nar and I go way back. We've done a lot of different stuff together. We actually wouldn't even have the hockey think tank if it wasn't for, for Brandon Narado and, and Brian Kane as well. And Vex, you played with Nar uh, in Omaha and the USHL. And so really, really awesome to get him on here for our 200th episode. And this was an awesome conversation. I think so many people are going to get so much out of this. Um, but before we bring on Nar, let's bring on the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. 200th time we're doing this what's going on today my man i gotta say man it's a little bit surreal like i put out a tweet earlier today like episode 200 we've been doing this for a couple years now over a million downloads not a big deal uh you know multiple years this is is a, a multiple for nar coming on which you know, anytime you can get somebody who is as well-respected in the hockey community, both at the pro level, college level, you know, developmental level as Brandon Rado, it's really cool, but it's even cooler because, you know, he was my roommate, one of my good friends, one of your good friends. Um, so this was like, just a, the conversation just flowed so easily. And there were so many great things that he said, they're going to help a lot of people in this one. And I feel like we say that a lot and it, it's pretty cool to 200 episodes in, I still feel like we're helping people that listen to this show every single freaking episode. That's the hope <laughs> that is the hope. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's been a blast doing this and, and having NAR on here for, for episode episode 200 and just for for people who are kind of new to the hockey think tank you know um when i say that the hockey think tank wouldn't be a thing without him and and caner like the the reason why the hockey think tank came to be was you know him and and myself and caner we would just you know every couple weeks every month or so we would just talk hockey and and talk development and and almost like professional development just getting getting better and so when I left coaching Cornell, we were just, we were doing some of these conversations. It was kind of like, we should like do something with this. And it was almost like people should be hearing like these conversations, you know? And so we met, it was, it was Nara, myself and Kaner in Detroit. One night I drove in from New York, Kaner drove up from Chicago and we just kind of, um, we're just kind of like spitballing like, Hey, what can we kind of do with this thing? And, and I kind of ended up being the driver of it because Kaner went on to, you know, be a development coach with the Blackhawks where he's currently at right now. Um, NAR was doing his thing and then he became a coach with the, the Red Wings and development coach with the Red Wings. And now he's with Michigan. And, and so um, it just, that's how it came to be. <laughs> and so just a, a professional development conversation has turned into 200 episodes of the hockey think tank and over a million downloads. And, and uh, you know, every, like we were talking, you know, before we got on here, like just getting stopped in the rink almost every time we go into a rink about the podcast to talk about it. It's just really, really, really cool. And I have so much gratitude right now for, you know, what we've been able to accomplish with this thing. And uh, it's because of great hockey people. I mean, the, the 
podcast doesn't go without bringing on great guests that we can all learn from. And, and Nara is one of the best development coach with the Red Wings. He's worked with so many different players at so many different levels, uh, just making them better. His client list is ridiculous before he got into coaching teams. And, and so I, I do think people are going to get a lot out of this episode and we have him a lot to thank for being here right now. It's crazy. Unbelievable. And anybody who has, who's newer to the podcast, listening to us, I would urge you to look back in the old files of the hockey think tank podcast and listen to our first second. Is this his third time on or fourth time? Might like be his third or fourth. Yeah. He's been on a lot, but like literally every episode is absolute heat. Like every episode and we've had him on with other guests. We've had him on alone. Every episode is fire and you're going to learn from this guy. He's one of the best hockey minds of anyone I've, I've ever come across anyone I've ever met. He's so effing passionate about development, about helping players get better about, you know, just finding a better way to do things always. Like if, if, you know, he's that guy that like, you know, you say, well, we're doing it this way. And you you know, somebody be like, well, that's the way it's always done. And he push right back. Well, there's a better way. Why would we do it this way? And he will find that better way. He's, he's a outside the box thinker. Uh, absolutely love him. Stoked that he took time out of his day to come on. And uh, yeah, man, this was, this was just a really good one. Excited for you guys to listen to this one. Yeah. And congrats to Michigan last night, they beat Notre Dame to go to the big 10 championship where they're going to play in Minnesota. And so that's got to be pretty exciting times for, for Nars got a lot of work to do to prepare for that. I'm sure. But um, yeah, just, just so much fun to, to be able to kind of reconnect here. And uh, the, like, honestly, I just feel like it's, it's almost like weird, not we- weird in a bad way, but just like, I still can't believe that we're still doing this 200 episodes and it, like we have so many of you to thank for that. I mean, so many people have shared us with their teams or their parent groups. So many people have just gone out of their way to, to giving us feedback. So many people have gone out of their way to just give us the juice to continue to want to do this. And we just appreciate that so much. And so, yeah, like we we're very grateful to, to all of our listeners. Some of them that's been with us since day one some people that are just kind of um coming on because they see it's a big guest or something like that like a marty st louis and and they're like all right let's let's grab a listen and then they just continue on with us because they like what uh, our guests and ourselves have to say so i just i do i feel really really grateful very very proud of, of what we've been able to do but again like this is nothing without our listeners and we appreciate you guys so much like you don't even know of course That's why we I- do this a hundred percent, obviously a hundred percent. We just wanted people to be better than we were. And I got a text this morning, 10 46 AM from a guy I played college hockey with who actually played against Nerado and they absolutely hated each other oh, really? until, until I, I, I had them meet each other and they, you know, they loved each other, which is like so funny. Cause like they, they hated each other on the ice, like literally college hockey, Michigan versus <laughs> Western Michigan, just sticks and spears and chirps. And, you know, now they're good buddies. Steve Silver, one of my best friends from Western. And he texted Who me I ran morning, into in a rink in Michigan. Wearing, wearing, ago. wait, wearing rental skates, right? <laughs> He's like, dude, I, I think I just saw Toph wearing rental skates. And I, was, I like, was, I was wearing rental skates. So here's the story on that. So, uh, we went up, I had a tournament up there a few weeks ago with, with my team 
And so one of my good buddies who actually played like peewee hockey with Nerado for CompuWare way back in the day, Chris Walsh. And so I was staying with him while I was up in Detroit uh, at the tournament and he's got a five-year-old or no, a six-year-old. So Walsh was like, why don't you come and you can help us run the practice, you know, um, that, uh, that we have on Saturday morning. And I didn't have a game till Saturday afternoon. So I was like, yeah, absolutely. But I don't have skates. So I needed rental skates, which looked like rental skates, which is hilarious. But I mean, just how small the hockey world is. So number one, Steve Silver and Nerado. Number two, Walsh, my buddy, who I played junior hockey with, who I was staying at and Nerado. And then Nar was a coach for the Red Wings and Sam Gagne and Mark Stahl's kids were both on the ice when I was out there. So it's just like hockey is such a small world. And that's what's amazing about it. It's wild, man. Yeah, dude. Silky sent me a text this morning and said, a dad who helps coach with us told me he listens to this coaching podcast every morning when he runs. And guess which podcast that is? The good old hockey think tank. <laughs> I told him I knew you and I may have been a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't tell me who it was, but if you're listening, you know Steve Silver and you were talking last week with him about, uh, or, the other, or today, I guess, which would be uh, Sunday morning on uh, the day before this one comes out, uh, we're talking about you, sir. And we appreciate you listening to us on your runs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Crazy stuff. Well, I'm really excited to, to get to Nara. We won't take too much of your time, but uh, I did want to ask you, like, it's got to be go time for you right now in the gym, eh? Like, I know you have your, you know, you're, you're in the gym with your guys. It's got to be starting up at some point. Um, I don't know now or in the next month or two or whatever, but you're also like, you're doing this a lot for people on train heroic, right? I am. Yep. In person online, we'll be starting next week or the following week. So I, I make it mandatory. I say, I don't want you guys in the gym. Like guys will call me the second their season ends. And I'm like, no, no, get out of the gym get out of the rink at least 10 days. I don't want to see you. Like if you want to use the gym and go in there and roll and like just stretch, I'm okay with that, but you're not allowed to lift. I don't want you doing any, I want you to just chill and just be a kid or, you know, be a human being just living in the world and enjoying different things away from the rink. So we're excited when you come back in. So I'm starting that up very soon. I'm also dropping my uh, 2022 online training for the off season. Um, you know, I get tons of questions on this. It's basically for any player that's going to be 13 to 14 and up and has any type of lifting experience. Um, you know, my goal with, with all hockey players is make a better athlete. You're going to be a better hockey player. So we focus on injury prevention, injury mitigation, balance, proprioception, hand-eye coordination, speed, power, agility, strength, core stability, core strength, um, and just trying to make you overall a better athlete. So uh, my online training is obviously much, 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 much cheaper than training with me in person because the goal is to get as many people real quality training from someone who knows how to train hockey players and is charge of, you know, probably a hundred million dollars worth of, of hockey players uh, right now, you know, like, so make sure that you guys are training smart and hard in the off season, not just hard, like doing like CrossFit or something, please don't ever text me and say, I'm doing a CrossFit right now. I'll throw up all over my laptop and then I'll have to buy a new laptop and nobody wants that. So train smart. And if uh, you don't got a trainer, you can train me online, take it to any gym. You'll be in the best shape of your life. I promise you. Hey, I got a question for you that pertains to this a little bit. And this is for me and I don't want to take too much time because I want to get over to NARB, but like, I, so I just joined a gym here in Chicago. It's called bears fit. And uh -huh. so it's basically 
I don't know. They're obviously affiliated with the Chicago bears, but it's almost like you go in and train like an athlete. And so it's got a big turf room uh, or not a room, but a big turf space. It's, it's like, you're walking into your college, like yeah. workout facility. And for it's like, and the question that I have for you is like, I get jacked to go there because yeah. I feel like I'm an athlete again. You know, I yeah. feel like I'm a hockey player, division one pro, whatever, um, going in to work on my craft so I can be an NHL hockey player. And so it's just interesting because for me and you and I have had different conversations about this and we talked about it on the podcast a little bit, like I don't really find motivation to work out anymore. I just, there's, for me, like there's a need for it of being healthy, but yeah. like other things that I have to do, like being a parent and doing the hockey think tank and hockey, like supersede my want to make myself healthy at this point but just like going into that gym i was like man like yeah turf like i can go do my <laughs> my my dynamic warm-up that i used to do in college you know and they got all the machines in there that i used to have like the kaisers and like all that stuff and and so I, it was just interesting because i'm like i'm like i feel a little bit more motivated to do that so like as a strength coach how much does environment matter when it comes to motivating players not just players but anybody um to want to be better or be fitter or more healthy or whatever because it's, it's, I mean, like, it's everything for me it like walking yeah, in dude. there i'm like dude this is unreal it's it's everything it's the reason i put my life savings into my gym it's the reason i have you know a street artist come in and hand paint signs in my gym like culture and environment and when you like for me with my gym when guys step in like i want them to be excited to be in there i have a guy who actually just came back from playing juniors um he had shoulder surgery recently season ended and he came in and you know he's in a sling he just got off surgery it's his first day working out i'm expecting him to be like a little bit down a little bit depressed he's you know he's got the sling he can't move and he's like God, it feels so good to be back in here. Like, I'm ex- and it's only him. Usually, you know, there's 20 guys buzzing in there going hard. He's like, man, I'm so excited to be back in here. Like, it's been a rough couple of weeks. And like, to hear that, it's like, well, like, you know, I created that environment. I've created that culture. I've created that space where people are excited to come to. And that's what, you know, I think like if you're training, that's how it should be. And with my online training, obviously people aren't coming to my gym but I use the message board and the DM features and things like that to try to create those and elicit those feelings as best as I can in a remote training setting. Yeah, so sure. that's why like, I love doing online trainings because I'll be DMing with people. I'll send them videos. I send the message board videos all the time of like things to think about, things to do, motivation, dedication things. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's everything, you know, and I'll tell you this too. Like, I know that you, we talk about like how you don't love working out anymore. And I had Cam Jansen in the gym yesterday training him, like just trying to be healthy again. He's a super busy guy. He's got a very successful podcast, the Cam and Strick podcast. He's been on our podcast before. He does a radio show five days a week from like 5 a.m. to like 9 a.m. There's all this stuff, right? And he's kind of let his taking care of himself go and you know like you you're not as productive in whatever else you're doing the rest of your life if you're not taking care of your mental and physical well-being so even if you do 10 minutes a day of mobility breathing core strength i guarantee you if you do that for a month at the end of that month you're going to be more productive and feel way better in all other areas of your life and it's going to force you to think about the food choices 
that you're making as well. And you're going to up that game, you know, like it's a, you don't need to go and work out for like two hours. I love working out and live in a gym. So it's easy for me to do that be as jacked and sexy and hot as I am. Not everybody has that kind of time on their hands. I totally get it folks, but 20 to 30 minutes a day, three, four, five days a week, you know, do whatever you can fit in. And I promise you, you'll feel better. You'll handle your stress and emotions better. That's science. All right. That is science. And you'll be more productive outside of the working out that you're doing. So, you know, don't give up on yourselves, people like get in the gym and do something. Let's go, baby. Let's, let's go, go. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Well, let's get over to NAR. We do want to thank. And then again, again, 200 episodes in these people like thank you so much to John Lounsbury and gel sticks for being with us when we started doing this sponsorship thing. Uh, go to G E L S T X.com. They just re-upped with us again. Um, same values uh, want to make the same impact on the hockey world. And so they're just uh, amazing people, amazing company for your weighted training sticks. Again, it's, it's the time of year. It's getting a little bit warmer outside, hopefully soon. <laughs> and so you see a lot more kids in the driveway, a lot more kids playing on the streets and stuff. And just so gel sticks is just a great training stick to have, especially in the summer. And so go to GELSTX.com, use the coupon code think tank one word, and you will get a discount on your weighted training sticks. Train Heroic, just like Jeff mentioned, it is an app on your phone. Uh, go to Train Heroic, look up Ripped Hockey, R-I-P-T Hockey for Jeff's workouts. And he just gave you the, the go around on uh, how that can be beneficial for you as you want to become, whether it's an elite athlete, want to be a little bit healthier, whatever it may be. He's got something for you. Thank you to IceHockeySystems.com. They are the best coaches resource to provide all of your players and all of your coaches to just get better at the, the game of hockey. And uh, again, these guys, again, same thing, same values, great people. And we have just, those guys are, are just uh, amazing. Nils and, and Chris and, and Scott, those guys are awesome. We have them to thank. Go to icehockeysystems.com. We have partnered with them with an associations tab. You can go out there and get this for every single coach within your organization. And we've also partnered with them to give them the Hockey Parent Survival Guide as well. So you can provide that to all of the parents within your organization too. So uh, thousands of drills, a drill drawing tool, uh, whiteboard explanations from some unbelievable people. Kendall Coyne is a new person that's on there as well, uh, drawn up a bunch of drills and things like that. So um, just unbelievable, unbelievable stuff. So thank you to all those guys. And like we talked about before, thank you to all of our amazing, loyal, incredible, awesome listeners. We're at 200 episodes because of you. And we just can't uh, tell you enough how much we appreciate you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And with that, without further ado, Let's head it on off to the assistant coach for the University of Michigan, Brandon Narado. We are so excited to have back on the Hockey Think Tank podcast for episode 200. He was episode two, and now he's episode 200. Brandon Narado, assistant coach at the University of Michigan. Nara, what's up today, my man? What's going on, boys? Glad to be back. Looking at Jeffrey's beautiful mug. You, you missed it all these years, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I got a whole year of that treat, and I've been missing it ever since. But oh, it is a treat, isn't it? Although now he's kind of like he's got kind of like a beard, but he can't really grow a beard. Like it's, uh, I don't know. It's still, you know. He's on mute again. <laughs> yeah, he's on mute, and he can't even defend himself. <laughs> Still on mute, me? Jeffrey. There you go. 
I was just saying, just just because I don't turn into Chewbacca like you three hours after shaving, buddy, I'd still call this a beard, all right? Yeah. I'm not going to make fun of X. I'm fighting the same fight. <laughs> I'm hoping at 40 it fills in a little bit more, I guess. Uh, just waiting for that growth spurt, man. Yep. <laughs> I am in different ways. Doing, no. Calling card. It's called you're a calling such, card. You're a good-looking guy. Like. It works. It works. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. All right. Enough about you, Vex. Let's let's get into the real stuff here. So NAR, so we're recording this on Sunday afternoon and a uh, big win against Notre Dame last night, in the Big Ten semifinals, heading uh, to play Minnesota in the Big Ten championship game. So talk a little bit about what it's like to be back at the alma mater, going to play for the Big Ten championship and, and just what it means to you and, and the boys that you're coaching right now. Oh, it's been it's been awesome, man. It's been uh crazy season it's so much fun to you know first year coaching uh behind the bench just to really be in it I think last night was the first time uh I get why coaches get gray hair and lose some hair a little bit earlier than most uh just the prep and a little bit of anxiety and excitement going into the weekend and then uh you're on the bench and the puck drops just like a player and they're getting after it but good for the boys and uh Notre Dame's a good team they play a tough style and I think we're super physical and everyone was bought in and uh you know came out on top so like I said good for them it was a good team effort for sure and you know we had a couple different conversations like and and just talking with some other people like playoff hockey is just different right it's just different it's one game elimination especially in college and and it gets heightened a little bit did you guys like prepare any differently for let's call it playoff hockey was there anything that you guys kind of emphasized a little bit more with your players because you guys are obviously just one of the skilled team one of the most skilled teams in the country uh, but again playoff hockey is a little bit different so you know take us through a little bit of what your preparation was for it I think going into each weekend depending on the team there's you know some tactical stuff that you want to do to you know have a little bit more success against each each individual team each weekend um, but it's way more about us and our identity. So throughout the year, you know, like I was joking with some of the guys the other day, we were talking about some of our ozone play. And I put the first video that I did, like the first week of the season or that we did as a staff and really nothing had changed. It's just, there's so much in there at the beginning. And then over the course of the year, you add in little different concepts here and, you know, they fail through it. You work on it in the drill design and practice. And then you just hope that you keep progressing uh, throughout the course of the year that at the end you know who you are and how to play and uh, it's simple like you know we want controlled entries and then you got to lay pucks behind them um, but you lay pucks behind early in games or against teams to feed your forecheck if you always try and have you know controlled entries or one thing over the other <clears throat> it's easier to pre-scout you're easier to play against so if you're a team that can play multiple styles of hockey whether it's the run and gun and up and down the ice or you can defend the lead or be hard to play against defending the rush d zone corner containment um you know and then being connected coming up the ice together then yeah if you're a one trick rely on your special teams uh you know probably not going to win the last game so you just hope that the guys get it and you get some bounces away and you're playing your best hockey then so no I love that you said that because I feel like on all the most on all the teams that I played for throughout my career in like real hockey junior and above a lot of coaches 
that maybe weren't sure of themselves looking back on, on me knowing them, we would change to our opponent versus like constantly building on our own identity and the teams where it was, you know, okay, like this team does this. So we're going to play this style. All those teams that I played on looking back, they weren't as successful as the ones where it was like, like, yes, of course, we're going to pre-scout their power play and their penalty kill and what they like to do. But at the same time, we're still going to be us and we're going to focus on being the best us and bring our best game because we believe that's going to help us win. Like, is that something that that Michigan has done for the past couple of years? Is that something that, you know, you've really emphasized because you're so good with breaking down video and stuff like that? Kind of where did that come from? Honestly, I think for me, it's something I remember Red Berenson talking about. Um, you know, we're Michigan, we're going to play our way, but here's some tendencies in their game that we need to be aware of. Um, you know, we always, you know, feed our rush game the same way or our ozone identity or our four check, but there may be some things we want to focus on more based on what the other team does, meaning uh, against one team, your rim forecheck may work better than uh, laying pucks into the strong side corner. Both work. It's all based on pressure and, and um, you know, how many guys they have above us versus how many guys we have, you know, going off the rush. But uh, it, it's, it's all situational. So you may focus on something more against the team but it still needs to feed your identity. And, you know, for us as coaches, you're trying to prep them and, and give them the answers to the test. Now they got to go and deliver and execute it. Um, and that's kind of the chess match back and forth, you know. More like, and I'm, obviously I'm not trying to get into like, what is your forecheck and how are you playing this weekend and all that type of stuff. But for the coaches listening, like the philosophy is more of like, we like to do as a team, as an organization, like we like to do these, whatever, four, four checks throughout the year. We're going to practice all four of them on some nights. We might use three of them more often. And then another night we might use these two because it worked for those teams. But are you saying throughout the year, you're constantly working on, you know, those four, you know, basically something like that, which is your identity instead of just like, well, they do a one, three, so we're going to do this. And then it's something that you guys have never practiced, which it seemed like on all those teams that I played on, we were constantly changing like that. It was harder to have a team identity, which then makes, it puts people on different pages, right? hundred uh, percent. This is perfect. Bex. So here's what I'll tell you. Our four checks a two, one, two. That's not a trade secret. If you watch two minutes of video, you would know that right away right? There's a lot, it, we're, our four check or whoever we're playing isn't great because it's a two, one, two, or a one, one, two, or a left wing lock or whatever. Your four check's great because you're physical. Your four check's great because you have great second man support. Your four check's great because your F3 reloads and your D are great down the wall. Like it's because everyone does their job and they're bought in, right? So like, I think the, it's not old school. It's just not the way I think. <laughs> But like, why would I teach a team four different four checks throughout the year? Not that it's wrong, instead of making one four check great and knowing all the details inside of that. Um, so as an example, like think of uh, your breakaway move, right? That I taught you. And then you went and did it well. 
I'm making a bet. <laughs> you did, hey, you did. Hey, I owe you a portion of my professional earnings because I I scored eighty percent of my goals that way. Anyways, continue. <laughs> well, I was five for five in the IHL uh, my rookie year. No one even knows what the IHL is, so we'll see how see how well that turned out for me. So I must I must have been on the path for coaching if it worked better for you. So it's good. Um, but like think about it you have one breakaway movement meaning i go down the ice as a, as a left-handed shot down the right side i can pump fake and go low blocker i can shoot high glove depending on where the goalie's standing i can go five hole i can deke to my backhand but i have one movement think of tj Oshie in the olympics it's easier to have one movement and then read off the goaltender versus having four different breakaway movements you know, like perfecting that. Does that make sense? It does. I so, hope we're, every- so we're predictable. Yeah, I hope everybody listening understands what he's saying. And if we have any young players listening, go to YouTube, type in TJ Oshie from the Sochi Olympics. And if you watch that crazy shootout where he comes down almost the exact same way every time, what Brandon is saying is the path is the same. And then he makes a read off of what the goalie is doing. And so he's using that as a metaphor. I'm using air quotes. You guys can't see <laughs> He's doing a metaphor um, for the four checks. So like, you know, that makes so much sense. And I would, I would assume then when you're coaching, you know, these high, uh, high level team, like obviously university of Michigan, it allows everyone else then to know, okay, if they shift this way, when this happens, everyone's on that same page or this happens off of that two, one, four check, everyone knows what their reads are from um, whatever's happening on the four check versus like just constantly changing four checks where you're going to lose guys. Cause they're going to have things mixed up in their head, stuff like that. Is that, is that why that makes sense? Yeah, hundred percent. Like I've had so many people send me uh, it's, it's a couple of weeks now, but Marty St. Louis article on the athletic and it, it was awesome. It's basically what you and Toph have been preaching on the podcast for 200 episodes now. Um, but what I like most about it is, is he talks about players making their own decisions. So like, think about it. If we're running a two, one, two, four check, I'm, I'm making up a bad analogy, but say one of the other team's defensemen are changing and, and only one of their players is retrieving the puck. Well, like the second guy doesn't know who to go to because there's not a second guy to go to. So what does it look like? They're all different reads. The game happens so quickly and there's so many different reads. So like you coach through decision-making and clear concepts at the end of the day, if we have great stick detail, we're hunting pucks and we're above them, then they have to go through you. But if I send two guys to one defenseman and he rims it around to the, to the weak side or strong side forward, I've beaten two players with one pass. So you're not above. So at the end of the day, you ran the four check perfectly because it's not about where to go. It's, it's why I should go there and when, you know, and if you're always above people, it's going to look different, you know? So there's so many different reads, but if you simplify everything, be above your man, keep your stick on the ice, finish your check, beat your check up the ice. If you always have body position without the puck defensively between your net and the man, you're in a great spot. This is like hockey 101. It seems so simple, but how many guys don't do that? How many D wheel and net, wheel the net, make a pass to the winger and then beat that F14 checker up the ice? And now he's the guy getting the seam pass on the entry five seconds later. 
it's because your man beat you up the ice. So a simple concept like beat your check could go into that forechecking analogy that I just gave, or it could be I'm in the offensive zone. I go low to high and a player on the other team finishes a check on me in the corner. Well, now if I beat my check to the next spot, I have a chance for a tip, a rebound, a shot retrieval. But if your man has body position on you, you have no chance. Those are things that we should be talking about more at the younger ages to help kids and coaches is, is concepts. Well, there's a million concepts. So what's important here, you know, concepts and habits, concepts and habits. That's, that's what it's all about. And, and I don't, I don't think we give, you know, I'm coaching in youth hockey this year. Like, I don't think we give young kids enough credit for like making small adjustments either. You know, we feel yeah. like we have to practice it a million different times if we want to do something a little bit different um, at the end of the day. Like, yeah, I mean, they're not going to get it totally right away. But again, if they have the the concepts and habits kind of instilled in them, then you can make little adjustments as a coach throughout a game tactically that can end up going a long way. And I see that at the youth levels. Like I was shocked at how much they can pick up. I'm also shocked at sometimes how they don't get certain things, but like um, they, they, if you just give them stuff and a lot of times I think they'll surprise you uh, with, with what they could take. For sure. So it's just like, uh, I always give that analogy of, you know, Leo's seven years old. Leo can learn German quicker than I can. Yeah. Like these kids can process way more information. Um, because it's new. And, and as a hockey player, you know, like there's things that you, you know, say you're a 19 year old freshman at at Michigan and you've had success for X amount of years leading into it, you know, like we'll keep doing what you're doing. You need to understand what you've done and what your identity is as a player to have success. But then, you know, you've jumped up a level. How do you keep that going? Does it transfer? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's a, that's a good transition into kind of what I wanted to talk to you about next. We just talked a little bit more team stuff, but you know, you have the opportunity to, to coach some pretty amazing individuals uh, in, in your previous business. You were coaching a lot of high level NHL guys doing a lot of video and, and, and hockey work with them throughout the year and throughout the summers, especially uh, then you play with the, or you're coaching with the Red Wings and you get some young guys like a Larkin and a Bertuzzi and a Cider and things like that. And, you know, obviously your class there in Michigan right now, very special with, uh, you know, Owen Power and Maddie Beneers and, and uh, Luke Hughes and Kent Johnson and Brisson and, and just all these guys, like talk to us a little bit about what it's like to coach some of these really, really high level young players, especially because, you know, I know from experience and having the ability to, to do that, like it's, it's very gratifying, but also can be challenging at times. Um, so just take us through a little bit what it's like to, maybe we'll start off with just the Michigan guys, you know, big vaunting class there. Um, what's, what's it been like for you? It's been awesome. Um, I know it sounds cliche, but they're all, they're all students of the game. Everyone on our team is like, they want to be better, but these guys have goals to be the best at what they do. So yeah, it's fun. It's exciting. Um, it's rewarding. It's challenging, different challenges, but I wouldn't trade this for anything else. Um, I think the biggest thing is gaining their trust. So you have to know again, who they are as, as players, put them in a position to do what they do. Um, and then, you know, going off that, show them how doing what they do can be improved upon and how they can have more success. Something as simple as, 
you know, I was talking to a, a couple centermen early in the year and it, it's so simple, but like their, their controlled entries or their, their, their elite playmakers and possession drivers through the neutral zone. So coming out of our D zone, they want to carry the puck through the middle of the ice. Um, so they were like, Hey, I'm not getting these touches as much as I usually am. What's going on. And, and this, and then you have to know how to fix things or have multiple ways to do it and then get the right messaging to the player and gain their trust so that they buy in. But it was as simple as them being lower and underneath the puck when the wingers were touching it to, to get that puck with speed underneath it. Um, and then once they started doing that, so we changed their routes without the puck on exits. And once they started doing that, they were getting way more touches. Now they have more confidence. Now other areas of their game that they weren't even thinking about, um, they're being even you know, more productive in those areas too. And now their overall game's that much better. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. You talk about puck touches. Um, that's just such a big thing for elite players, isn't it? Like just yeah. they, they want the puck <laughs> all the time. What are some of the things that you talk about? And I know it's a little bit more position specific um, just, you know, with the way that the game is played, but like, what are some of the things that you're harping on maybe with some of your, let's just, let's go with the forwards first um, in, in terms of getting them the puck more, what, what are some big things for you to, to finish on? We've talked about this so much. Like, how do we, I call them cookies. So how do we get them their cookies? Um, you have to work away from the puck to get more puck touches. So, you know, we just gave an example of a centerman working hard back into the defensive zone to check um, or to get that touch once we steal the puck and we're on offense so that they can run their right routes to, you know, receive it. Um, before you touch any puck after you've worked hard to get there you need to look around so scanning shoulder checking i've made this bad joke too like what do they say at every mini mic play with your head up well at every level if, if, if you play with your head up and you're looking around to see where the pressure is before you touch it when you touch it you've already got you know thoughts in your brain to make a better decision but if you touch it and then you have to look up and then evaluate the situation the higher the level you play at, the less time you have to do that. And it's extremely difficult. So I, I think that's one of the, and it's all credit goes to Luke, but like Luke Hughes is such an elite skater and everyone's, you know, giving him all these props for the goals that he's scoring and breaking records at Michigan. His skating's always been elite um, from the environment that he grew up in with his dad and his brothers and, and what they've taught him. But his decision-making has been way, way better. And his decision-making is better because he's putting himself in spots to use his skill set and he's working hard to do it and he, and he's failed you know like uh, i was talking to a recruit the other day and they're like uh you know they're basically saying like what undrafted players have you developed and you know like i gave my answer but then it's like hey we have 12 draft picks on our team right now our third line on paper is two first rounders and a fourth rounder it's not a fair question just because a, a player is a one overall pick or a four overall pick doesn't mean that they're going to have success here today, that they're not going to fail in the future that, and that they're going to be hall of famers in the NHL. They still have a ton of work to do. They're just projected to be there during their draft year, but it doesn't mean that they're going to be there. We've played with and against a ton of first round picks and never play an NHL game or never have success. You know, so uh, the coolest thing 
to circle back on your question is these guys want to be better. Um, like I said, you have to gain their trust, but uh, all credit goes to them. I think the most special people, uh, you know, and I think of like Larkin, Warinsky, Kyle Connor, uh, they're students of the game, but they're okay with hard conversations. And it's our job to coach them up. I'm not right all the time. Like, you know, I'm jumping around, but we, we did a video the other day where we were working on um, different track sorts. You know, the, the, the forward coming back uh, at the puck carrier, he's going to take them all the way to the blue line versus he's late and he's taking the wide lane. So what are the reads of the defenders? And basically I said one thing, the player said something else and we videotape every practice. So I looked at him on the bench and I'm like, Hey, here's what I saw. Here's what you do in this scenario, but I could be wrong. <laughs> you know, it's okay for me as a coach to say I could be wrong. And we went and watched the video and I was wrong and they were right. And I, and I brought him in. I said, you guys were right. But it was also a way for me to say in the scenario that you were correct in, you did the right thing. Here's what you do. They beat it. They made a play. And, and then here's what I was thinking. So if the scenario was a little bit different or this player's route was a little bit different, here's what you would do. So it's a great teaching um, environment or lesson. And, uh, and the players are right. And I looked at them and said I was wrong. And hopefully you gain trust that way too. Because if you, got, if you oh, think you have time. all the answers, you don't. Um, and it's okay to good if they're right that means they're you, listening. how do you approach that situation because that's that's so awesome like a coach not that you you know everything happens so fast and like to say you were wrong like you know different things could have influenced the play a different way but like let's just say, go with you were wrong in that situation as a coach of high level players how are you, what's your mindset going into that meeting to tell the players hey you were right here and and then because like if you do it the wrong way or it happens a lot, maybe you lose credibility from the players, right? You obviously, I know okay. you, I know that you, you do it in a way that's methodical and you're thinking because you're always thinking before you do things. So for the, uh, for young coaches listening, coaching a triple A team or midgets or juniors, how should they approach that situation to go into the video with some players and say, Hey, let's go over that thing that I told you, you were right. You know, what, what's your thought process going into a meeting like that? Just be honest. If you're, if you're right, explain it to them. It, I was glad I was wrong because I got to show them what I was thinking and in a different scenario that I read the scenario wrong, but I wasn't wrong on how we're defending the rush, you know, but it was great for them to explain what they were thinking and have a thought process behind it. It, it was, it was actually awesome. I think we're coaches with all the video now to me, say a player turns the puck over in a random scenario. Well, why did he turn it over? Some coaches on the bench just see the turnover. You know, for me, if, if a player comes to me back at the bench and, and they've turned it over and I didn't see what happened before, I can't even coach them up. So what do you do? You ask them, hey, how, what happened with that? Like, what were you thinking there? And he'll look at me and say, coach, it was a bad play. I just turned it over. Or I, maybe the player didn't have support. And the play, he was just trying to make a play and he should have just chipped it off the wall. You know, so th there's, it, it, it feeds a discussion to, to understand your players and understand what they're thinking so that, you know, when it comes time to correct them in the future or praise them, you know how their mindset works, you know? And, and I think if you, it, 
not that coaches do this, maybe some do, but if you're always attacking players and, and try, it, it's always gray and, and it's a teaching tool. But like, if you're always attacking, I'm saying you can't stop, don't, like, you're never going to get anything. Tell them what to do. Don't tell them what not to do. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. The other thing with that, that too, the other thing with that too, is I've always felt like I've learned the most about hockey in like low key back and forth discussions, whether it was over a couple beers with a couple guys that, you know, um, on a recruiting trip or something like that, or just in a, in a coach's office after a game, like if you can make the environment a lot more two-sided yeah, and it's like the education that you're going to get, whether it's as a player or as a coach is so much better. I mean, hundred percent. you go to like teeth, teaching uh, methodology even I mean when it's a, a safer space and both people are vulnerable to share and both people are listening <laughs> rather yeah. than it being a lecture like you just retain so much more information and you know co- like players teach us stuff all the time like I know that even coaching at the youth levels they're, they're teaching me stuff um, and and so when when it's a back and forth and it's two-sided, both people are learning, both people are sharing. It just goes so much more for not only the retention of information, but again, it goes back to what you were saying, the building of the trust. Like they're much more apt to listen to what you're saying if, if they trust you. And so I just, I love that. And you could do that a lot through video. I think as, as a coach, like you, you can do a lot of that kind of stuff because you can go back to it and then you can have a discussion about certain plays like you're talking about. And it just feeds so much into just development and understanding the game and learning how to coach your kids and your kids freaking learning how to play for you. Um, I, I think it's amazing. Our goal project that we did back in the day till really what we learned is we need to rewind the, from when the goal was scored. We need to rewind the clip 15 to 20 seconds. Yeah. So for me, you know, every sequence of events that happens or every event that happens, what's the sequence that came in front of it that led to the decision positive or negative for the player. And it's always different. And it's, you know, I say this all the time, it's based on pressure and numbers. So if a player dumps a puck in, and then we change. And I say, dude, why are you dumping the puck in there? Like you're changing. Well, you told us to lay pucks in before the game and all week. Yeah, but <laughs> not when we're changing. That's when we want to bring it back, get fresh bodies out there so we can forecheck with fresh bodies. You know, so like every, you know, hey, you told us to shoot the puck. No, I know, but that guy was wide open back door. <laughs> like, you know, like it, it's, it's, that's what's, uh, not tough or difficult is the right word but like that's where you really have to know your stuff and then throughout the course of the year like you're letting this is how we play and and it's never perfect because situations are always changing but like at the end of the day that's how you manage the game when somebody calls someone a professional on the ice like i don't know marty st louis at all high 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 high-end hockey player hall of famer you know he talks about decision making there's no head coach in the NHL now or then that thinks the game like he does. So why wouldn't you ask him what he's thinking? That's how we came up with all this stuff. Like not that we have it figured out is if you study the best players in the world and what they do from a decision-making standpoint or a skill standpoint, can't you teach those tactics to an entire team? Look at Duncan Keith. He was the first one 10, 12 years ago to laterally gap surf, angle skating forward now there's 10 ways to describe him defending the rush skating forward 
now it's a team tactic on how to defend the rush because the Blackhawks took it from him and then other people watched the Blackhawks and they were winning Stanley Cups and now everybody does it. Now every modern day defenseman, what do we tell them? Don't skate backwards. Don't skate backwards. Well, Duncan Keith changed that. You know, so what are the best players in the world? Like Patrick Kane sits on the weak side of the ice. What's every youth coach tell him his whole life? You got to get to the net. Well, now he's got time and space on the weak side of the ice. There's a time and place for that based on the situation. Now, I don't want my 6'4 power forward or anybody else that's not Patrick Kane type skill doing that because that feeds into his game. But it, like we talked about in the beginning with identity, knowing yourself as a player and your identity, why would Patrick Kane go sit in front of the net and get beat up? It doesn't make any sense. So he had to find ways to create offense through his skill set and his decision-making. You know, and it, it, Some works for everybody and some things don't. It reminds me of a story I, I'd always hear from uh, one of my buddies who was playing with the Red Wings when Nicholas back or Nicholas uh, Lidstrom the first time like he ever did this I guess like the puck got dumped into him and he kind of let the forward beat him to the puck even though he was ahead of him and then hit him and took the puck and I guess in the locker in between periods Babcock starts screaming I'm like what are you doing like get to the puck first he's like why I came out with the <laughs> puck and I didn't get hit and yeah. I guess he paused for a second and then he was like Right answer. That's what I want everybody doing from now on. That's <laughs> what <laughs> so that reminds me of. Like, yeah, you got one of the best defensemen of all time. Like, well, you ask him why he did that, and then you could coach it that way, which, you know, happened in a roundabout way. But, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Dude, Vex, I got a good one for you. How about when you and I played on the same line in Omaha? This is old school, dude. And you're like, nah, we got to cycle the puck tonight. We're going to cycle it like crazy. And I'm like, cycle the puck, dude? What? Every time the puck comes down the, along the wall, I get crushed. Like, I'll be in the slot, man. Like, protect the puck and hit me. I am F3. You know, like, now, you were right, and I was wrong. But in my defense, I didn't understand we have possession. Let's play the way Brandon wants to play versus Jeff's getting outnumbered. He can't protect the puck. He needs to release it. I need you to go into an area NAR where I can release it to you so that we can cycle the puck, keep possession, and then you can give it back to me so you can give it to NAR in the slot and he can hopefully get a shot at them. It's like being at uh kind of NAR just standing in the slot, just not moving. No. <laughs> Waiting popping. to snipe high glove in the Uncle Jesse sweet spot. Popping in and out. <laughs> just yeah. wanting to be down low below the goal line. <laughs> It's a match made in uh, heaven. It's like no clue. You should no have clue. seen it, Vex. We were uh Nar when we did Hardy's camp however many years ago, and you were doing one of the, the drills on the ice with the kids, and I was in the stands <laughs> just like talking with some parents and stuff. I had one of the moms come up to me and go, Oh my god, that Narado, he could shoot a puck. He's oh, just yeah. sniping on the 14-year-olds. The <laughs> I was the best goal scorer in hockey history between May and August. I led everybody. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Oh, but man. you have to you have to understand like hey you got a great shot that's awesome like, like how, now what are you missing to allow yourself to get that shot off um simple answer is any type of foot speed <laughs> uh, 
but uh, yeah, there's, there's other things that come into the game. That's why they say, you know, this guy scores so many goals in practice. Well, like, yeah, there's nobody in the flow drills back in the day. There's, there's no pressure on him. So yeah, sniper. Well, you bring up a good point there. And I, this is something that I've learned from you. And, and one of the conversations we had a couple of years ago, just talking some hockey that really changed the way that I think about the game is recognizing pressure and yeah. understanding where pressure is coming from. And I literally can't watch a hockey game the same <laughs> as, as since, since that conversation, because it was so, I mean, you know, you, you see something like that and then you just see it all the time. Right. Um, so talk a little bit about that. Like, what does that mean? Recognizing pressure? Why is it so important for the development of your players? And, and, and again, we've talked a lot about how pressure is really good in practice. So talk a little bit about your mindset when it comes to that. I think decision-making is all based on pressure. So like uh, the coolest thing for me, like with Michigan is like you, you do all this skill stuff. And then I always give credit to Brian Keane with uh, the constraints led approach, but constraints, you know, you, you, you just develop different rules or games inside of games um, where there's a point system or there's different points of pressure where players have to make a decision. At the American League and NHL level, that was the biggest thing I noticed is how teams and individuals take away time and space so quickly. So you need to make reads when you have no, no space. Now, if you're an individual, that's what I focused on more. And then, you know, building it up into the five-man unit, if you and Jeff are going to outnumber me in the corner and I have no play, like we mentioned earlier with cycling the puck, I don't care what skills you have, you're not coming out of the corner. So where can you place a puck and beat that pressure to make the next play? Um, but how I would explain pressure, like with an individual carrying the puck is just front, side, and behind. So examples of that would be I'm on a two-on-two rush. I have front pressure or pressure in front of me, right? And that pressure could be 10 feet away. Now, what skills am I using to manipulate that pressure? Then I've got pressure in front of me, and it's a different scenario where it's a two-on-two rush with a back check. But now that back checker has more speed than me. He's going to cut me off. So if you have pressure in front of you, where's the space available? It's behind you. If you have pressure behind you in that tracker, you have a speed differential or a speed gap. Now you would cut him off, cut off his hands. That'd be the concept. How do you do that? You get your leg out, you go one hand on the stick like Crosby and, and break through his arms. So all these skills go in, like you have to have the skills or the tools to do it but there's a lot of guys with the tools to do it and then they don't have success. It's because of the decision-making based on the pressure and how tight it is to you to create that space to make the next play. And then if you get the whole team concept into it and add two, three, four, five guys, well, now Topher has the puck. He's got pressure in front of him or behind him. Now I'm offensively, I'm on your team and I'm away from the puck. How, you know, when you have pressure on you, I need to support you closer. When you have time and space, I need to find open space to get open to, to score or make the next play. Like those are your reads. It, it's kind of a Barry Smith thing 20 years ago. I, maybe I'm just explaining it uh, a little different and trying to sound smart, but like the game's the game. That, that, that's why to me, like I'm not reinventing the wheel or I don't think other coaches are either. Like it, it's just your messaging and, and what you want your team identity to be or how you develop individuals into you know skills tactics decision making um it's it's all your messaging and how you explain it and then we use video as a resource 
you put them in drills where they've got to problem solve and figure it out. Um, and you just go from there, you know? Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting you say that because with the pressure, especially when you're doing it in practice, I actually just talked to Kaner this week. It's too bad we don't have him on the podcast here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the one thing that he talked a lot about was the success rate when you're doing stuff as well. So depending on what you're trying to accomplish within a drill within a practice within a, even a mindset of an individual player you know putting them in certain success rates where they're either going to fail a little bit more probably by doing a little bit more pressure whether they're going to fail a little bit less they're having a little bit more success maybe a little bit less pressure and then just kind of like you know adding it on adding it on adding it on progressing it's just it's it's really kind of blown my mind how technical that can be in the you know, the overall drill design of what you're trying to accomplish. Right. And so oh, yeah. a, a lot of that just, I mean, we see it in, in youth hockey all the time, or even in the higher levels of hockey, there's no pressure with anything. It's just like, let them have success, let them feel yep. through it, let them. But at the end of the day, like if you want to develop players, you have to develop players that understand how to make plays in pressure. Because yeah. at the higher level, every level you go up, you're going to have less time and space. Every single one, whether that's might to squirts, squirt yep. to peewee, peewee to bantam, you know, AHL to NHL. Um, it, you have to be able to develop players that can make decisions. And a huge piece of that is exactly what you're talking about is recognizing pressure and supporting, like you said, too. And so I just, I wanted to make sure we talked about that because you were the one that really put me onto that. And, uh, it's really changed a lot of how I view development as a whole, even. Yeah. Yeah. And it started with what are the skills that allow you to break different points of pressure, <clears throat> But then going forward, it's like, uh, it goes back to like the most simplistic stuff. Like when you're under pressure, what do you need to do? You need to protect the puck. And you can't expose it. The closer yeah. you get to me, the more I need to, you know, like, so when in doubt, get your ass out. Like if you're coming to pressure me and I get my butt out and show you my back, the puck is protected to, do, to allow you to do what? Gain half a second to maybe make the next play. You know, so and that half it, a second is gold. <laughs> oh yeah. hundred percent of the seconds eternity, you know, and then that's where being predictable as a five man unit and having an identity and then offensive structure comes in. Cause if you pressure me and I get my butt out and buy myself half a second, I also need to needed to have looked to see where my support is to lay that puck to the middle driver, the weak side, you know, whoever it may be, depending on the situation. You know, so like, hey, protecting the puck's important. Thanks, tips. Playing with your head up's important. Thanks, tips. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, but like teaching them how to do that, like it's like defensively, like stop on pucks. How bad does it look when a player does the big airplane move? Like it looks really bad. Well, you stop on pucks so that you can beat your check to the next spot. So beating your check is important. But if I just say beat your check to a new team that I'm coaching next season or even at the beginning of this year, they're like, okay, I think I understand that. It's pretty simple, but like that goes into several scenarios that I could rip off off the top of my head, you know? So it takes a course of a season or sophomore, junior, senior year, or entry level deal into being an NHL veteran. That's why these guys are professionals like to do those things. Like I looked at one of our players the other day and I'm like, think about it. I go, how old are you? He goes, 20. I go, so 10 years ago, you're 10 years old. You had Pee Wees, Bantams, 
you know, midget development team, Nyer, Nyer, Michigan. The guy that's 30 has been in the NHL for 10 years. Think of all the knowledge he's gained in 10 years of failure, success, on ice, off ice, you know, dealing with people, whatever it may be. Um, like, man, that that's crazy. It, it'd be just like academics. If you're in high school and 18, you're going back to second grade at eight years old. So you've got second through 12. Now imagine the guy that's 28 getting his PhD, how much he's learned from freshman year of college to PhD. That's a smart dude. You that's know? wild. That's wild. I, I love thinking that way. I want to go back and ask you something because obviously we talk about this every podcast play with your head up right and you're making the jokes like tell kids play with their head up but that's not really teaching them anything is there anything that you teach or you learned as a player or anything that helped you with that because for me I was a guy who looked down a lot like I had tunnel vision I wasn't the most skilled guy I've talked about on the podcast all the time but when I got to pro that's when I really learned like holy shit like if you get your head up like you know that influences what your next step's going to be like before you get to the puck all these things and the only thing that I found that made me a lot better at it is literally all practice long every single day I had to I forced myself to look around the ice like almost ridiculously like if there was a camera in the rink watching me do like a warm-up shooting drill my head was constantly moving and I had to do it every day until it became something that just became second nature in games. And it probably took me like two years of literally like looking like a donkey every day doing that until I finally got to that point. But that was already midway through my pro career. So like we constantly say that, is there anything that you can say to players or you've heard or that helps people like to work on, quote unquote, playing with their head up or looking around as they're getting to a puck or something like that? Uh, I think there's a lot of different things you can say. I think the reason you learned it is because you failed. So you had your head down and you got hit. You had your head down and you turned over the puck. Um, so when you do that, you didn't like it. And you're like, man, maybe I should just pick my head up and look before. And now I can make a quicker decision. That's what we're talking about. So meet most people that learn something new or, or change a habit it's because they failed at it. So they want to work to self-correct. What we try and do as coaches is like, now you've accepted that you failed, so you changed. Other people are still fighting the fight that like, no, I'm good. Like imagine something that works for you most of the time, but if there was small, one small tweak to make it that much better, would you do it? Like, and then some players are fighting the fight. Like you're crazy, man. Like this has worked for me. Well, I'm telling you, it's not working anymore or as efficiently. You need to change it. So, you know, if, what, what happened if someone told you at Bantams, play with your head up and then just had you do stick handling drills at home and your little sister, instead of you just stick handling around cones, your little sister puts your, her stick to the left or to the right or gets closer to you. So now you have to turn your butt and turn your head to see where she's at when you have pressure on your back now instead of the front you know that like like my little guy like it's it's hilarious man he's seven years old he is what he is he's having fun playing might hockey next year and i got two buddies of mine that uh they're talking to my uh, wife and they're like what, what's brandon doing with what's he doing extra like leo's getting <laughs> he's getting way better at hockey like, what's he doing 
And I already told him, I don't do anything extra. He literally went on the ice one time at Yost for fun to skate with the guys. Like I've literally done nothing extra with him. I'm staying away from him. He's playing Ninja warrior, soccer, basketball, hockey. I'm letting him be a kid. And, uh, she's like literally nothing guys like and they're like come on man like what's he doing is he skating him at 6 a.m like what's he doing <laughs> honestly my son's uh and he, and he is what he is he's you know like his hands have gotten so much better because every night we play mini sticks and we because it's fun and i'm in net and hit me in the head, head and other spots and i'm, I'm the win. yeah the new mini stick goalie right but like he's so like now what do i do Obviously, I'm telling him, get your head up with the little mini stick ball. So I just extend my stick and I put it to the right. And if he goes to the right, he's going to get poked. So he's learned to drag the ball in and release it. And then I put it to the left. And then I do it quicker and I let him fail. I let him figure it out and I ask him questions. Is he going to be a 50 goal scorer in the NHL? I don't know, but I'm trying it. And maybe I'll have a good story for you in 10 years of of what to do or maybe I'm just having fun playing mini hockey with my kid, you know, and you know, whatever. But um, if he doesn't have his head up, he can't read the play and then him just stick handling a ball instead of doing private lessons or, or dad telling him to go stick handle for 20 minutes, his hands are getting better. You know, now he's asking questions. Then he sees the Datsuk flip in the video game and he wants to try that because he thinks it's cool. And he sees Nasher on YouTube talking about the video game and he thinks it's cool. So now he's a hockey fan. Like, you know, and I always tell him like, Hey, did you, you know, whenever he doesn't want to do something because kids don't like to fail, I said, did you know how to ride a bike the first time you did it? He's like, no. I'm like, did you fall off? Yeah. Did you skin your knee? Yeah. Then why'd you keep going? Cause I want to learn how to ride a bike. So if you want to do something, you just have to keep, failing forward and then you figure it out but nobody needed i'm not giving him the technical skills of how to point his toe up to pedal the bike i'm just saying get on the bike and figure it out yeah and he'll and over time they'll figure it out and if you don't want to and you quit you're done yeah i'm really glad i'm really glad you uh you brought leo up because facts when you asked the question like my immediate thought went to we can teach this at the youngest of ages you yeah. know it doesn't have to be you know something that kids learn when you start checking it can be something you learn when you're younger and when i'm out with the youngest of the youngest of kids one game that i always play pretty much every single time i'm out there is i'll put all the kids in one zone everybody gets a puck and there's the goalies and the coaches that have to poke the pucks off the stick. And if you get your, po your, your puck poked off your stick, you got to go stand outside the blue line. And that's the last man standing. And yeah. so they have to be skating around the zone, looking up, where's everybody. It's pure chaos, yeah. absolute pure chaos, but they have to stick handle and they have to have their head up and they have to protect the puck when the goalie or the coaches are going around. And even something like as simple as freeze tag, the kids absolutely love freeze tag where again, yeah. it's chaos in one zone and they have to be looking around. Where's everybody? Where's the coach? Whoever's it, you know, where are they at? Where are they at? Where are they at? And then they get, you know, they get tagged and they got to stand with their freaking legs far apart. <laughs> and the reason and how they can get unfrozen is if somebody dives between their legs, you know, yep. like just like it's such a simple thing, but there's like thought behind it. You know, yep. it's a it's a game where I like I love what you're saying about failure and figuring it out. But we can help kids doing that by doing that, by making it fun and doing little games like that when they're young and if you get oh, yeah. them when they're young you're not just telling them to put your head down and go around freaking cones 
play games, like force them to have to, you know, figure it out through some, like, I just, I think there's so many different things that we can do at the youngest of ages to help our kids. And honestly, at the end of the day, we're talking about making better hockey players, but we're also going to decrease injuries and decrease oh, yeah. concussions. I think that's probably the most important thing because how many, you guys, now you watch a lot of hockey recruiting now, Vex, we've all seen a lot of hockey, like how many kids play with their head down? Especially, Too many and good es- players. Especially, and we've talked about this a lot, and this is for the youth coaches out there, right? Like we as coaches and let's call it Bantams and Midgets or whatever, but younger and younger, like we reward kids who are physically better than everybody else that can skate through everybody and stick handle through everybody or go wide and, and beat a defenseman wide and score a goal. We tell them, Hey, great job for not passing the puck, but you scored a goal because you <laughs> yeah. were just physically more gifted than, than yeah. everybody else, you know, and we, we reward that. And so we, as youth coaches, have to do a much better job of teaching kids exactly the stuff that we're talking about, how to pass, how to get open, how to recognize presser, how to not just play with your head up, but scan and and shoulder check and be always looking around us. Like this has to start at the youngest of the youngest of the youngest of ages. And I think for the parents listening, hopefully there's a coach that like, they will thank, you will thank us for having these conversations (laughs) because you're like it's seriously it's going to decrease the percentages of the amounts of kids that are getting hurt because most of the kids that get hurt have their heads down especially the ones that end up getting shoulder injuries or concussions because they're getting hit because they don't see it coming Amen. play basketball too because i think obviously like when you add the stick into your hand that's not an extension of your like it's an extension of your body but it's not part of your body so it's hard when you're younger to stick handle while looking up and looking around but dribbling a basketball while looking up is quite a bit easier so i have all my i have all my guys nhl on down but i started doing it with younger players and realized how wor- well it worked like as part of the warm-up like running and learning to dribble and looking like around the room or like talking to their buddy while they're jogging and dribbling and then both hands and then switching hands and things like that. So anybody listening, like there's so many things you can be doing off the ice to help that stuff on the ice as well with coordination, juggling. We do that every day, like all that type of stuff. Nar, I love, I love that you're like, you're playing shitty hockey with your son. And then you're like, but I also stick pressure him <laughs> in very specific <laughs> methodical ways, which is genius though, because like I, so my gym is in a rink and I have windows that look out at one of the sheets of ice and I'll see these kids there every day, every week, once or twice a week at like 5 30 AM, 6 AM. I'm like, why is this little Johnny nine-year-old, 10 year old, 11 year old here every week? I respect it. But I'm like, is that also necessary during the season when you're already skating three, four times with your with your team and doing that when your dad could just go in the basement and play with you and do exactly what you're saying with it's not really a constraints led approach, but like you're teaching him without him even knowing you're teaching him. And I love that so much, dude, I uh, I second guess myself a year ago and I am this is no knock on anyone like do what you think's best for your kids, but like. Leo went to skate with this other team. He's a mini mite at this time. They skated three days a week in the spring for 90 minutes of skate. Kids were out there 30 minutes early. So it was 120 Wait, minutes. What? Oh, oh yeah, bro. Oh yeah. Three oh, days yeah. in the spring, three days a week for 90 minute sessions. Six years old. 
and and like <laughs> he looked at me the first day after like 50 minutes he's like dad how much longer i'm like we're out we're out like we're out I'm done you know because I, I needed to see and, and like now with this said you walk in there and you see these six-year-olds they're they're studs man so you want the best six-year-old skate five days a week skate six days a week you want the best 12 year old don't do that <laughs> don't do that Thank like you. yeah like you have to now if your kid what he loves more than anything is skating then i would say if my kid wanted to skate seven days a week and that makes him happy I, i'm also saying that's okay because before puberty and jeff you can fact check me they can't even build up lactic acid. They can't overtrain. So if he's doing something that's fun to him, he's not going to burn out. I wouldn't be worried about the burnout. I'd be worried about like his hips, his labrums and stuff like that, you know? And that's I don't a, know great point. that that's the only thing is I don't know, like at, at what age that starts to become a problem, but like I got into it with some guy on Twitter, just like two back and forth yesterday. Cause like we were talking about this on Twitter and somebody put something up and I shared or whatever. And some guys like, you know, like, why don't you just let the kids have fun and let them do whatever they want? You know, not everybody's going to make the NHL. And I was like, yeah, that's great. But also as parents and coaches, like <laughs> we also, we don't just let kids do whatever they want because they like it. I go, if you did that, you'd let kid, you'd let your kid eat candy all day long. Like, no, yeah. you stop them from doing things that are harmful to themselves. And like, I mean, any coach in any organization across any city in the world uh, that deals with young hockey players a lot can see the rise of hip surgeries that are happening. Yeah. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. And in my experience with all the organizations that I work with and kids I work with and stuff, it's all the kids who never get off the ice, like yeah. from younger, the kids who play couple spring teams and summer teams and lessons. They never give their bodies a break and skating is just not a natural mo uh, movement. Walking is, you know, forward, backward, you know, like out to the side on that diagonal, like that's not a natural human biomechanical movement. So like at some point you have to give these kids a break. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mentally too. Me yeah. Of course, mentally as well, just from a structural standpoint though. So after the point you just made, could you imagine a parent going into an elementary school and being like, what are you guys doing? Just let them do whatever they want. What are you doing? <laughs> like, like we're having fun. Like, my kid wants to dance on the desk. Like, what? Why are you telling him to stop? Like, he's got to be creative. He's got to be free. You can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it because there's rules, and we're not <laughs> teaching you to dance on desks. It's going to lead to the wrong future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So last last question for you here, and this is actually a really good kind of teaching point not teaching point but a really good kind of topic of discussion especially for you coaching at michigan right now got some studs yeah. got some unbelievable dis like individual players and how do you teach individual within team how do you go about doing that coaching some of the best young players in the world because you know i think even at the younger levels all the way up into the nhl yeah you coach some kids who have some individual gifts but they also need a team to to help them with their individual gifts of of what they do and so how do you kind of go about as a coach um that give and take that back and forth with a player in terms of their individuality let's call it their individual identity and and how that forms into and helps the the team identity 
uh, I, my answer would be go listen to the first 45 minutes of the podcast. <laughs> um, first off, I would say teams don't win championships because of talent. And that's cliche, and we all know that. Definitely don't win, in, usually win in college hockey. What I see with older, mature players, not just because you're a first rounder and you're 19 doesn't mean you're going to win hockey games. You win hockey games because you play together, you play hard, and everyone's bought in. And, you know, at any level, whether it's, you know, above youth for sure, because I think you can have the best players and just win. Um, But if you want to win any championship at the NCAA or or pro level, even juniors, you know this, Vex, it's it's the teams that are the tightest, that are friends and and hang out together and want to play for each other and sacrifice for each other and are, are bought into the bigger picture. So. I think that's like the standard. We have a great culture of really good people, uh, good kids on our team that want to be better. So, you know, the team message, if your team message is the same as your individual message, then it's easy to do. You know, like we're talking about pressure as an individual and then talking about it as a line in a five-man unit. And the answer, you break it the way you break it. And how I would coach the individual is the same as the team. Now, different players have different skill sets, like we talked about with Patrick Kane earlier. Like, that's where you need to, again, understand them and their identity as a player and let them be free. If you carve them up every time they make a mistake, but then praise them when they do it well and it's the same decision, you're, it's a double-edged sword. You know? So you need to understand that they're, you need let them fail through it but if they have the light, the right, the correct thought process on their decision, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, then you, you've got to, you've got to go through that. I, I keep thinking about Luke Hughes and how, you know, what changed for him, his decision-making, he made that decision to do it. Hopefully, you know, Phil McCall does an unreal job with the, with the defenseman. And, um, you know, hopefully I've helped a little bit with it too, with Luke, but um, he, he's just having, he's, he's having more success, not because he's got more skill or more talent, but because he's made better decisions. Well, maybe he understands the team structure better. Maybe he did something new instead of skating it the whole way. He, he played more of the give and go game and it helped him utilize his speed even, even more efficiently um, or w- whatever it is, he's figured it out. And it, and it's always the player. He's made the decision to do it. Um, so you know, you got to let, you got to let, you got to know who they are and you got to let them play. And by letting them play, just like a, just like Leo in, in the parking lot or stick handling in the garage, if you let them play, they'll, they'll figure it out on their own. And then you can guide them through it to help them get there quicker. You know, if you're just looking at what your points are, your puck touches at the end of the game, like I evaluated my game as a player. I didn't know it at the time through my puck touches. My puck touches were good, you know, but like, when someone says you're not good defensively, is it my positioning? Is it my work ethic? Is it my battles and races? Like, what is it? Well, there's a lot of coaches that can't tell you what it is. They just see the result. It's the same coaches that allow the fastest 12 year old to skate wide, you know, on, on all the other Bantam players and score on breakaways. And then he, he wonders why that kid can't do it at 15 or 18 or 22, because it doesn't work. Because guys can skate backwards the same way and you're going to get angled off and squeezed. So how do you change speeds? Introduce a concept like getting off the wall. 
sometimes youth players' biggest strengths become their biggest weaknesses later on. Which guys does that not happen to? The guys that it doesn't work for anymore and they problem solve and figure it out or add another tool to their toolbox. So to me, especially with elite players, you better know your stuff. You have to gain their trust and you have to let them be them. Or why are you recruiting these guys? You know, it's, it's like, you know, Lavecchio was an unbelievable penalty killer and, and now you don't put him on the PK. What are you doing? Why would you not have Patrick Kane on the power? Do you put Patrick Kane in a shooting position or a position where he can shoot and make plays? Both. You know? Why would you have Shea Weber at the front of the net tipping pucks when he's got a 105-mile-an-hour slap shot on the flank? It's crazy. But you got to put guys in positions to be successful. It's so true. Putting guys in positions to be successful. That is, yeah. that is an art as a coach. And especially when you got <laughs> different people with different skill sets There's some people with the same skill sets and figuring out how to mesh that all together. It's uh, it's, it's an art, not a science. I believe anyway, it, yeah. and maybe there's some science to it, but um, it's, it's a feel thing. It's understanding personalities understanding development understanding how and why people do things and um it's that's part of the reason why coaching is so difficult <laughs> um in a good way because it challenges you it really does and you have to be creative sure. to, to find the different puzzle pieces and how they can all fit together within that but the one thing that you talked about at the beginning just the culture stuff you know that's what i'm all about like i remember having a conversation with you early in the year talking about hey you know what's it like you know coaching some of these kids and you're like dude they want to win like yeah. they want to win a national championship yeah. and that for me is it's awesome. Like it has to be so awesome to have like when your best players, and I've said this a zillion different times on this podcast, 200 episodes in, I've probably said it 200 times. Like when your best players are your hardest workers, most bought in, most willing to, to be coached, that is a recipe for success. When your best players are not like that, you are screwed. You are absolutely yeah. screwed. Yeah, that's yeah. why I, that's like people come at me. Like I did the, the tweet about Jack Eichel the other day when he said that stuff about Buffalo. Like, yeah, okay, Jack Eichel hasn't won diddly squat in the NHL. Yeah. And everybody else wants to blame circumstance. Yeah, Buffalo is a bit of a gong show, but like he's a big part of that. He's a big part of that. I'm sorry, yeah. you know? And so, you know, now he goes to Vegas and I hope he proves me wrong. I hope I, Jack Eichel proves me wrong because yeah. he's a really talented, one of the top five most talented players in the world. Well, Vegas is on the bubble of a playoff, uh, of the playoffs right now. And they weren't 10, 15 games ago when he wasn't playing. Yep. Okay? Well, what do you want to, what do you want to be an elite talent or a winner? Exactly. You can do both. A lot of people don't have elite talent, but they know how to win. If you have elite talent and you learn how to win, now you're a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it does, it takes people to get there. I mean, the kid's young. Like yeah. people are like, he's not a kid. He's been in the league six years. It's like, well, he's still like 24 or 25 or something like that. Um, but like, man, like I just, I hope that, I hope he gets it. When he said that stuff about the Buffalo fans, I, to, like part of it is honestly like, and Vex, you and I talk about this, like he's shown personality. And I, think I know that's I did like that. League. It's that's great for the league, but it's also like showing his personality and right. like, come on, dude. Like, I just wish, uh, and it's easy for me to say on a podcast and not being one of these elite athletes, but like, dude, if you have something to say, just come out and be brutally honest like, say it <laughs> yeah. like 
like there's no holding back anymore like with the media like like even coaches like I'm not saying I like or don't like Tortorella, but like he, he's giving his opinion. He's himself. That, yeah. That's who I respect is this is who I am. I, whether you like it or don't, this is how I feel and, and what I believe. And I'm going to be straight up with you. That way there's no gray and people can't question you or retweet or write articles about what they think you're saying. They're like, nope, this is exactly what it is. I just said it straight up. That'd well, be my, yeah. I just think from, and I always talk about it from like the other side of sports too, like sports or entertainment, like yeah. people, like if they weren't entertaining, people wouldn't go to them if they didn't do need something to do and cheer for and whatever. So like the more that we, like, I loved Eichel saying that not because I love Eichel talking like that, but because I like the controversy that it started in the whole hockey world, which yeah. now everybody's watching Eichel's next game. Everybody's going to see how Buffalo responds. Everybody's watching the analysts. Like, and Eichel lost I, his next game, by the way. He, did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. he scored on a rebound. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like, I like, I like that stuff, man. Like it brings a yeah. little drama to it, makes it a little juicier and people are going to tune in more. So from a growing the game standpoint, like, I think that's just great for the game as a whole, not necessarily, you know, the things that come with yeah, it. A hundred percent. And it goes back yeah. to like being yourself, but there's a difference between like Jack Eichel being himself and Nar, you and I have had conversations about Maurice Sider and yeah, he played for like, he's himself a hundred percent himself yeah. and no apologies for that stuff. But then you, you know, we had uh, Cody Lamp who played with him over in Germany and he got humbled in, in Germany. And he wasn't, he was what, what did he say? He was their seventh defenseman as a 17 yeah. year old over there. But yeah. like, but like he knew that Maury Sider was going to be an absolute star because of his mentality and his yeah. humbleness and his ability and willingness. I mean, you got to be yourself, but you also have to be willing to change certain things about yourself at, at certain times to, to be better. And so like, it just, I, I don't know, humility a little bit can go, can go a long way. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, Sider, you were on the ice with him with the wings, like special. You were like, oh, this yeah. kid's going to be a star, like from you being just- on their training camp just because of how he conducts himself like but again if you're going to pound the table in anything coach player business owner you know whatever you better know your stuff you have to perform and execute it um yeah and and then you know like tom brady's the greatest i'm sure he's got a lot of thoughts like but like look at these people babcock Derek cheater rodriguez tom brady like they're they're the greatest like and then the, the next day someone's writing an article about you know how this is wrong with them or that's wrong with them. that lebron james like that's what you sign up for wayne gretzky oh yeah yep. he's a bad coach but he's the best player of all time like, you just look these are haters people looking for nobody's perfect respect people for what they're great at and then uh and then understand that you know other people have weaknesses but like if jack eichel or whoever i'll use him as an example like I'm sure he's got some thoughts on the Sabres and the Sabres have some thoughts on him. Well, one of those two organizations or people are going to make some decisions in the next five years. And that's when we'll figure out who was right. And, and, and maybe no one's right, or maybe both are right. It helps both sides, but um, you better know your stuff. Uh, if you're going to have a strong opinion, that's what's tough about Twitter is you oh. go and click, click on people's names to find who is this guy posting this stuff. And they got six followers and 
you know. <laughs> well, their uh, their name terrible. is like Robot One Two Seven Nine or CH Four Two Three that Twitter just gave them, and you're like, yeah. okay. I said that to somebody like the other week. I was like, yeah, well, you know, you can say whatever you want, but I put my name and my picture out there. So if I say something stupid, I'm gonna have to own it. Also, yeah. if I put my mouth out there, like it's because I believe in it and I can demonstrate like it has worked for me or you know whatever. So I don't know. I think sidebar we need social media needs to get to like you have to have your name and your picture on there yeah i think a lot of this ridiculousness in our world would stop if people had to actually be accountable for their yeah. actions and what they say and tweet and meme and yada 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 but like nobody really knows like i know topher coached at cornell i don't know what topher did every day i don't know right. how involved he was or what his impact was. like and and the only way you'd know is from you know stories from a player that he helped change your life or helped them on face-offs or whatever. But like, just cause you coach, not all coaches are the same. Not all lawyers are the same. Not all parents are the same. So like, why don't you just do your own thing? And, and like, you don't read your press clippings and you don't read the negative stuff that people say, like who cares what other people think. Like they're not, they're not involved in what you're doing. And, and when you're the best at anything, people are going to try and cut you down. Just don't let them. You're above yeah. You know, that goes for the 12 year old or, or the NHL player. And then to circle back on the other stuff, like we talk about all this stuff with, you know, coaches in general, youth coaches, players, like, like coaches, especially it's okay to say you're wrong. It's okay, like, go do your homework and, and make it right. Like, uh, like, you know, when you go through with stuff with players and, and I have a conversation with a player and he goes out that night and plays great and scores two goals. Is it because of me or what I said to him? Maybe, but at the end of the day, it's all because the player made the decision to go do it. Because now I'm realizing I have conversations with guys every day and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So how do I keep finding a different way to talk to different people or the same way to get them to believe it? I, I don't have that perfected. I don't know if anyone does, but you're trying to get there. You know, do you pump them up? Do you knock them down? Do you hold them accountable? Like go through all these emotions. Like every player is different and every player is different at different times. That's why you have to ask questions. That's why I have to get to know them as people outside of hockey so that, you know, you can have an impact and, and understand how to, how to deal with, it. you know, but if at the end of the day, if you care, you can know nothing about hockey. You'd be the worst skills coach, worst coach in the world. If you care, I think that's the biggest battle. Then they know it and they bought it. You know, like, like, dude, how hard was Hasty on us? But you know, he cared. You know, I'll never forget it. He, uh, you know, like one day he ripped me. He's like, you know, this is why Cedar Rapids cut Narado or whatever. And like the next day, he's like, this is why Omaha picked up Narado. <laughs> like, and then, <laughs> and like it was, you know, was scoring a goal that, you know, whatever. And, uh, but like, it's just that little stuff, like, you know, like you're going to call someone out in a meeting, like when they do something right, pat them on the back, like just give both, you know? Um, sometimes I feel like I, I need to be harder on guys, but then you go back to, you just got to find the right time. So. Yeah. And it's, it's not just caring. I think that's one thing that I've learned in talking to so many different people with the hockey think tank stuff and just getting to, getting to know a lot of different coaches and things like, and, and even as a parent too, I think this is something I've really learned because as a parent, especially like you care about your kids, there's yeah. no question. And as a coach, I care about my players, but how do you show it? 
like mm-hmm. caring is about action. Love is about action. And, and you have to put your money where your, your feelings are, you know what I mean? Like you have to be able to put some, th- and that's why I think, and, and the more that I do this, dude, like the more preparation you put into the people side of things, the better, mm-hmm. the better coach, parent, coworker, whatever you're going to be like, if you have a little bit of a system or a little bit of a, a routine on how you go about managing people, that goes such a long way. Like, okay, I'm going to put a little note card of a, of a positive affirmation in three guys stalls today. I'm going to text out of the blue, three of my players, parents saying, Hey, I appreciate you making the sacrifices to, you know, have your kid on our team this year. Like if, if you're doing that, because again, it's, it's easy to care. It's really easy to care. And there's that, I think most people genuinely care about the people that they lead but there's a huge disconnect i feel like in caring and then the players thinking that you care you know what i mean like you have to go through with the actions to let them know and show them as well and i think the best coaches are masterful at doing that yeah because they're the best people yeah yeah. And they work hard at it. It's a, it's a skill. It's not just like a, a thing that you're born with. I, I think it is maybe a little bit, but you know how you were raised a little bit, but like you have to put in the effort necessary to do it. And I think the best in the world are, are elite at that. There you go. There's one right there. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Well, we have taken up a lot of your time now. You got a freaking big 10 championship game to prepare for. <laughs> Uh, but dude, crazy 200 episodes. You were number two. Now you're number 200. What do you th- like? This is awesome. This is so cool. It's the first time I've ever said this tope. It feels good to be number two. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm happy for you guys too. Actually, you know fun. what? You were the first guest. Cause the first one was just vex. So it was yeah. actually, you were wow. number the number one, number two episode, but number one guest. So there you go. Number one in my heart also. <laughs> number one roommate no. unreal oh so, it's uh good for you guys you guys have had a major impact on uh on the hockey world and doing some awesome things so 200 episodes and 200 more let's go i like it i like it good stuff man well thanks for taking the time and uh best of luck in the big 10 championship and uh also best of luck in the ncaa tournament coming up go get them appreciate it boys have a great one Talk to you soon.